looking at this passage this week and next week. For those of you who are curious, we will be picking back up with our long series in Revelation. We've been through two parts, and we'll start part three of four next week, and that will take us through the rest of the spring uh, to the summertime. But for this week, we're going to take a look at this passage before us, Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Hear now God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose, and he immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed. And they glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, we do thank you for this, your word. Thank you for giving it to us, for preserving it for us, so that even today we would have it. It was read in a language that we understand, but we ask now, O God, that you would grant us spiritual ears, Lord, that you would help us to have ears of faith, that you would teach us and train us, correct us, even rebuke us in righteousness, that you would make us more like Jesus. He would help us to live for you. Father, I pray that you would help me, your servant. I pray that you would keep me from error. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable unto you. You are my rock and my redeemer. And I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was younger, I think I was a teenager or just a preteen maybe, I was invited by a friend and his parents to go camping. And I was told that I needed to bring whatever I needed. So I went out into the shed and I grabbed my tent and all the other things, sleeping bags, everything I thought I would needed to go camping. I grabbed it. I even grabbed some extra food because I'd had dinner with this friend and it was okay, but I wanted some food that I liked. And so here I come with all this stuff. I go to the campground where I'm supposed to go. I arrive at the campground. I find the spot where I'm supposed to meet them. And what do I see? A 30-foot camping trailer parked right there with all of its slide outs, beautiful and wonderful. 
and I had a car full of stuff that I didn't need. I thought we were roughing it, but apparently we were staying in nice digs that weekend. You know, the truth is, is that we are a people with all kinds of needs. Whether our needs are trivial or crucial, all of us at any given moment are very aware of our needs. When you're hungry, what do you do? You get food, right? When you're hungry, you get food and you eat. When you're sick, what do you do? Or what are you supposed to do? Get medicine, right? Go see a doctor, perhaps. What about when you're tired? What do you do? You rest. Maybe you take a nap. You get some sleep. Sometimes, however, we're surprised. We're surprised because we think we have a need for one thing, and like me on my camping trip, we come to find out that we're going about meeting that need in completely the wrong way. But what if there was a need? What if there was a need so crucial? What if there was a need so great that many people were completely unaware that they even had it? How would they even come to know? that such a need exists. And what would they do? Where would they go to have that need met? We know we met such a person in our narrative today. We met a man who's afflicted with a serious illness. He has a type of palsy, and he's completely unable to walk. He wants nothing more than to be healed. He wants to be able to walk. So he goes to extraordinary measures to be brought to the one that he knows can heal him. But probably to his surprise, he has an even greater need than the one that he wants addressed. You see, this man is a sinner. He's a sinner, and his even greater need is to be reconciled to his creator and to have his sins forgiven. Simply put, his greatest need is need. His greatest need is his need for Jesus. We're actually no different than this man. We're no different. We have many needs in this life. We have many, many needs, but our greatest need is to be in a relationship with the one who is able to address and meet every need beyond what we can ask, hope, think, or even imagine. But like the paralytic in our story, we're also sinners by nature. And to be in that relationship with God, we also have to have our sins forgiven. And because forgiveness of sins is only found through the atoning work of Jesus Christ, we have to put our faith and our trust in him and him alone. As one songwriter has put it, Jesus is truly all that we will ever need. Jesus is all that we'll ever need. As we study this text together this morning, I want us to see that to have that greatest need met, there are three things that we need to do. And these three things will form our outline. So if you're taking notes this morning, our first point will be we need to come to Jesus. Simply put, number one, we need to come to Jesus. Number two, we need to be healed by Jesus. We need to be healed by Jesus. And three, we need to be amazed at Jesus. We need to be amazed 
at Jesus. Let's begin with that first one. We need to come to Jesus. Mark informs us in verse 1 that Jesus has returned to Capernaum. And he's at home there. Likely he's in the home of Peter's mother-in-law. And he's preaching the word to a crowd. Well, this is no ordinary crowd. This is a, a huge crowd. I mean, there's so many people packed into this house that there's no more room in the house. Not even at the door. There's no room even at the door. The crowd is spilling out into the streets. All these people, all these people had come to hear the word preached by Jesus. There's no doubt that they had heard about him. They had heard of all he had been doing, how he had healed Peter's mother-in-law, how he had healed the leper, how he had healed many others who were sick, and how he had cast out demons. The fame of Jesus was spreading, and people were flocking to him in droves. They wanted to hear what he had to say. So Jesus preached the word to them, just as he'd been doing from the very beginning. He's preaching the word. But in the midst of this crowd, this huge crowd, there's one who wanted desperately to be brought to Jesus. We don't know if he just didn't get there early enough or if he wasn't allowed in because of his condition. We don't know that. But we know he's determined. He's determined. So determined that he and his four friends would do anything, anything to get him to Jesus. So they did the inconceivable. If you look at verse 4 in its original language, it's literally translated, they unroofed the roof. They unroofed the roof. You see, Jesus' day, in his day, roofs were not like ours necessarily. They would have been flat. It would have actually been a common meeting place for people, actually a place to sleep at night when it was really hot. And you get out in the cool night, the houses would get very warm, and they'd go out and sleep on the top. It's constructed of a mixture of straw and mud, and then they would overlay it with these really thick clay tiles. You get the picture, right? The roof is very sturdy. You don't believe it was sturdy. It at least holds five men, right? There's five people up there. It's very sturdy. So you can imagine how difficult it would have been for them to dig an opening large enough to lower this guy through. But they did it. Mark doesn't tell us how long it took them to do this. I always wonder what it would be like if you were inside. Like, what's going on? What is that up there? Mark doesn't mention any opposition. But hear me, it was not an easy task. And yes, people would have noticed. Put, put yourself in there for a moment. Dirt's falling on the floor. Maybe even dirt's falling on Jesus as he's up there talking, right? And people are like, wait, what's going on? You know, is he going to react? What's happening? But these men were determined. They were determined. They knew that Jesus could heal this man. And they were willing to go to radical measures for their friend. I think this is a beautiful picture. It's one many of you know. It's probably not the first sermon you've heard on this passage. You may have learned it in children's church or Sunday school. Don't miss the beauty of this picture. It's not only a wonderful depiction of friendship and selfless service, but it's also a wonderful demonstration of the desperate and radical measures we go to when there's only one way to do something. She's not here, so I can share this. Kidding, I can share this. When I met Megan, 
I fell in love with her very quickly. And I knew this is the woman that I'm going to marry. So I did everything in my power to let her know that I loved her. I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her. If I had a free moment, I was with her. I gave up sleep so that we could talk to one another. Just another few minutes, which turned into a few hours, right? On the phone. I did everything in my power to make sure that I had prepared for us to have a life together. If I wasn't spending time with her, I'd take on another job, take on an extra shift, do whatever I had to do to make sure I was ready. You know, friends and family saw what I was doing. They're like, who's this guy? Distracted Dan is actually what they called me. Distracted Dan. They told me I was crazy. You are crazy for her. You're head over heels for her. I was just in love. I was in love. You know, let me ask, what greater links, what greater links will we go to in order to come to the one who is able to address and meet our greatest need? What links will we go to then? I'm sure you've heard the amazing testimonies of those people who've come to faith in Christ in the midst of extraordinary circumstances. You know, people have turned from addictions. They've turned from deplorable lifestyles. People have even turned from their own families in order to come to Jesus. When a person is born again by the Holy Spirit, it's a radical transformation. And as they fall in love with Jesus, they'll go to amazing lengths to give their time and their treasure, even their whole lives, to just being with him. So the bottom line is this. We need to come to Jesus. He's the only one who can meet our greatest need. So let me just say this. For those of you who are in love with Jesus, don't think that you ever stop coming to him. Don't tune out. Don't tune out. Your coming to Jesus is an ongoing process. You keep coming to him by faith. You come to him in prayer. You come to him in worship, in giving, in serving, in loving other people. And sometimes, if not all the time, we need to unroof the roofs that stand in our way too. We need to make sure that we're continually coming to Jesus. And I don't want to just save it for the end, so I'll mention it here. There's a really good bit of application here. I'm going to ask it in the form of a question. What are you doing to help others come to Jesus? What are you doing to help others come to Jesus? To what lengths are you willing to go to make sure that friends and family and coworkers and neighbors what links are you going to to make sure that they hear about Jesus? So far, we've seen that in giving, excuse me, in having our greatest need met, we need to come to Jesus. That's the first point. But let us move on to the second thing. Second thing we see is that we also need to be healed by Jesus. I mean, healing really is what this story is all about, right? Healing is at the center of the story. We have a man who's paralyzed. A man who's gone to extraordinary lengths to be healed by this man, Jesus, whom he knows has the power to heal him. Could you think about what's going through his mind at this point? Put yourself in his sandals on that mat. If I could just walk, if I could just walk, my life would be so much better. If I could walk, I could work. And if I could work, I could buy this or that. If, if I could walk, I wouldn't have to be so dependent on people all the time. 
So here comes the big moment in our story. The big moment. Much to the surprise of everyone in that crowded house. Again, picture yourself there. Put yourself in the midst of the drama. Here's this paralytic man lowered right down in front of Jesus. See his four friends peeking in over the side. It's a mess. They're probably a mess. And here's this man. They lower him down right there in front of Jesus. You notice that Jesus doesn't even appear to to be put off by the whole episode, does he? There's no, no hint at that. Jesus sees beyond the audacity of these men, and he sees something that no one else could even see. He sees their faith. Look again at verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Pause. Right? Pause. Wait. What? What did he say? Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven? Did we miss something? Did I misread the account, perhaps? Is that what he came looking for? Did this man come looking for forgiveness of sins? I mean, he had faith. The text tells us that. And apparently, because of what happens, this faith was more than just a faith that Jesus could make him walk again. Apparently, it's a saving faith. Faith in Jesus a belief that Jesus was able to heal him, not just of his paralysis, but heal him completely and fully. But it's still shocking. If you're there in that moment, it's shocking what Jesus says. I mean, we know the whole story, but if you're there in the crowd experiencing this whole episode, you see this paralytic drop through the roof. He's obviously seeking to be healed. This man, Jesus, has healed people before. And then Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. Obviously, Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. You see, Jesus addresses this man's greater need, his need to be reconciled to God. You know, to the one who has faith in Jesus, what Jesus says to him are the sweetest words you can hear. They're the sweetest words. To know that our sins are forgiven and to hear the pardoning words of Jesus is not only powerful, but it provides our heart with the, the healing that it desperately needs. You know, as Christians, we can know that we have forgiveness. We can know that we have it, but it doesn't mean that we stop recognizing our sin. It doesn't mean that we stop asking for forgiveness. This is an ongoing process in our lives. It's one of the results of coming to Jesus. When we come to him time and again, like we did at the beginning of the service today, and we confess our sins unto him, we're healed. We're reminded that we have been washed clean by the blood of the lamb. And it's a healing that we all need. They're sweet words to those of us who are in Christ, but they're sour words to some. They're off-putting, especially to an unbelieving world. Sin and forgiveness have become almost entirely foreign concepts in our society. Most people believe that they're inherently good and that sin is just some kind of psychological concept that mankind has burdened himself with over all these years. In fact, I believe it was Frederick Nietzsche who said, The only way to be free from sin is to finally believe that sin doesn't really exist. 
Let me read that for you again. The only way to be free from sin is to finally believe that sin doesn't really exist. That's hopeless. So far, this thing from the truth. Sin is real. The effects of sin are real. It's everywhere around us. We live in a fallen world, and one of the most loving things we can do for the world is to show them that sin is real and point them to Jesus. Not just talk about their sin, but point them to Jesus. Point them to the one who can forgive them of their sins and heal them. I find it interesting. Though the world seems to deny the reality of sin, do you notice that there's still some understanding about what is right and what is wrong? There's the sand that people are standing upon. And I'm amazed at how our culture goes about addressing what they deem are the wrong things. Many of you may have seen the movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. I'm reminded of the father in that movie. You might remember that whatever ailment one had, this man believed. You know, whether it's a sore muscle or a rash or whatever, he believed you could heal it by spraying Windex on it. And so he carried around a bottle of Windex. Your knee hurts? Our culture believes that right behavior modification, the right government policies, the right understanding of our psychology or our evolution can lead to peace and harmony in the world. If we just get the right thought, they might as well spray Windex on it. They might as well spray Windex because it gets the same result, nothing. The only way to address the wrong in our world is to see it through the eyes of God. Sin is a result of the fall. Sin crept in on that day and its effects have been running rampant ever since. But praise be to God. Praise be to God that Jesus Christ came to deal with sin, to pardon sinners, and to commence that restoring work in creation that will be fully realized at his second coming when he ushers in the new heavens and the new earth. Brothers and sisters, I'll ask you, is not being healed of our sin the healing that we really need? And is this not the healing that we need to bring to a lost and dying world? As we come to Jesus, as we bring other people to Jesus, let us remember that our greatest need truly is need. The need to be reconciled to a right relationship with him. To have our sins forgiven and to be set free to love and serve him as we ought. Okay, so that's two. Let's go to number three. When we come to Jesus, when we're healed by Jesus, it only follows that we're amazed, that we are amazed at Jesus. You're going to see this third thing as the rest of the story unfolds in verses 6 through 12. One of the first things you'll see is that there's a skeptic in every crowd. And of course, there's a bunch of skeptics in this crowd. There's some scribes, some religious leaders of the day who are questioning the fact that Jesus said that this man's sins were forgiven. Now, Pay attention, they weren't questioning out loud. They're questioning in their hearts, calling him a blasphemer. They're questioning in their hearts. They were thinking, wait a minute, only God can forgive sins. But Jesus is God. He's God in the flesh. He can discern their hearts. And he calls them out 
in front of everyone. Can you imagine being one of them? Imagine the shock. Whoa. I know I would have been surprised. Wait a minute. How does he know that? And Jesus knows the hearts of men. And so he asks these men why they ask these questions. Look at verse 9. Jesus follows all that in verse 9. And he asks somewhat of a rhetorical question, right? Which is easier? Which is easier? To say to the paralytic that your sins are forgiven or to say to him, rise, take up your bed and walk? Which one's easier? It's an intriguing question, isn't it? It's intriguing. On the surface, it appears that saying your sins are forgiven is easier, right? Wouldn't that be easier to just say? No one will know whether it's effective or not. You can say it all you want. But if you didn't have any power at all, and you told a paralytic to get up and walk, what happens if he doesn't? You're proven a fool. But what if you did? have the power to forgive sins, and you said your sins are forgiven, how would people know that it was actually true? How would they know? That's the dilemma that's posed by this question. That's why Jesus asks it. But Jesus is greater than the dilemma. Jesus is greater than the dilemma. He proves that he has the power to forgive sins by also proving that he has the power to make this paralytic man rise up and walk. So he does. What does he say? Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And just like that, just like that, the man did so. And he did it not in secret, but in the presence of all the people. And Jesus did this in his own words, what he says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Here's your sign. Here's your sign. I have the authority to forgive sins. In doing this, Jesus demonstrates again, as he will again and again, that he truly is the Messiah. He truly is the Son of Man promised to God's people in the Old Testament. He has come and he brings with him the kingdom of God. How does the crowd react? Mark tells us that they were amazed and that they glorified God. You just picture jaws dropped, right? Like, what just happened? Luke and Matthew also retell this story. They point to the amazement and the awe of the people as well. Because what they had waited so long for has come. It's here. Jesus truly is the Son of God. And I love how the account ends. What do the people say? We've never seen anything like this. We've never seen anything like this. I doubt many of us here have actually seen a paralytic get up and walk. But for those of us who have been forgiven our sins by God through Jesus Christ, do we, not, do we not have just as much reason to be amazed? Should we not also be amazed? I once was blind, but now I see. I mean, is this not reason to stand in awe of God and give glory to him? 
I mean, when I think of my sinful condition before I came to Christ, and I look at the man that I am today, I'm amazed at the work of God. And even more, when I think of how I break the law of God each and every day, and then I I come to the throne of grace and I find forgiveness because I'm his child, I'm amazed. Are you? Are you amazed? Do you take time and stop and be amazed at the transforming work of God in your life? Do you take the time to give glory to Jesus Christ for his work on your behalf? What he did in his life and his death and his resurrection, even in his ascension? I want to encourage you to never lose the wonder. Never, ever lose the wonder. Stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. With his blood, he bought you. And by his grace, he brings you safely home. Never lose the wonder of that. Our greatest need is need. Our greatest need is need for Jesus. So listen, whether it's your first time, or your millionth time. Come to Jesus. Be healed by Jesus and be amazed by Jesus. Amen and amen.